When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think it should never be permitted to happen again. That is very good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cricket Podcast with me, Jack Hope, and Ross Legg. Hello. Uh, this week on the show, we have a special episode. We are speaking to Chris Tremlett. Uh, Ross, uh, we've just recorded the interview. What did you think? Um, what a lovely guy is uh, the first one. Um, and then, I mean, I didn't know, if I'm perfectly honest, how much he was actually involved across like the different Ashes series. And what I found amazing was that he was 12th man um, in the 2005 Ashes, which people might not re- be aware of, went through, beat the Australians down under, and then was on the receiving end of being thrashed and the all fallout from the 2013-14 series. So actually, his experience across that kind of 10, 11 years was incredible, really. It was really great to talk to. Yeah, I think he's really interesting and really honest as well. Um, I, I don't think you'll hear an, another England player um, talk about those experiences as as candidly as he did. Yeah, I think that's fair um, to say. Which, which was excellent. Um, what else do we need to mention before we play the interview? Um, that if you're listening to this, please subscribe and tell a friend. What we're trying to do here is build up our listener base so we can get better get quality guests on and actually improve the quality of the content that we're creating. So uh, tell a friend, pass it on, subscribe. Uh, and find us on Twitter or Instagram at the Cricket Pod. Great. Um, we'll play a quick jingle, um, a, a slightly puerile jingle, but a very funny one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then uh, we'll be speaking with Chris Tremlett. Six for nine, a cockamouth. That's Ben Stokes' old club, isn't it? Today we are joined by one of the few English players to have won an Ashes series down under. In his career, he took 50 wickets at just 27. But we're going to start with a question all of our listeners want the answer to. Um, Chris Tremlett, what do you bench these days? <laughs> uh, I think my, my PB is about 170, so I'm trying to trying to get that up towards the uh, 200 mark. So yeah, about at the moment, and just, just just trying to build it every year and just trying to get a bit bit bigger and a bit stronger all the time. But yeah, certainly a bit better than it was when I was playing cricket. Yeah, well, I think I think 170 is two and a half of the cricket podcast. 
um, if you <laughs> so, um, it's, it's not a bad effort uh, is it at all um, I've now got a picture of us side by side and Chris just holding us up yeah we'll have to, have to get you down the gym and I'll just <laughs> something like that uh, Chris yeah it's uh, it's great to have you on the show thanks thanks for coming on um, right. we we put out a tweet today letting people know uh, you were coming on and we'll start with one of those questions if you don't mind um, Robin Rounder asks uh, what was your favourite on-field memory from your cricketing days? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few. Um, I think the one that stands out probably the most is probably making my England debut. I think um, just receiving my cap at Lords, it was kind of an unexpected kind of call-up at the time. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of your dream. That's what you dream of when you're um, a kid and you want to aspire to play for England. So... When that moment actually happened, when Michael Vaughan gave my cap, that was um, yeah, that was pretty cool and pretty surreal. Um, and I think in terms of actual playing memories, um, for me, it's hard to beat the the Ashes in 2010-11. Um, it's probably what um, people notice me more the most, I guess. Is just that I obviously I played a bit in that series and won that series down under, and you know, I played a part. So yeah, for me, that was probably like playing wise the most um, satisfying kind of moment in my career. And having a lot of injuries, being in and out of the England side over about a 10-year period to have that success and do well over in Australia. Uh, Australian fans who who uh, aren't the uh, the kindest at times was a <laughs> pretty satisfying moment. Um, also, again, very surreal moment. I um, have to kind of pinch myself sometimes when I look at pictures on the wall that I've got here at home. Um, but yeah, that was that was a really cool trip to be involved in and it all kind of went our way and we won a lot of games and... Um, yeah, but I went, I went back there in 2013 and lost 5-0, so <laughs> I know what it's like to be on the other end of the, uh, uh, yeah, um, you know, to be on the other end of it. So, um, so to win in 2010-11 was certainly very special. It made all the, the injuries and pain throughout my career worthwhile. Yeah, I think I think as, as sort of fans watching on as well, that's, that's a memory that a lot of us treasure. Um, so, so thanks for being a part of that, I think. That's cool. Yeah, it's, like I said, when you're in Australia, it's you don't realise the support you're getting because obviously the time difference and you don't kind of, you don't see see it as much as when you're over in England because you're, you're on the same time frame. So um, when, when we arrive back, it uh, you know, kind of hits home, like what you've actually achieved. And, you know, I started walk, walking down the street and people actually kind of knew how I was, which I was, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was good. And it was, it was a good time for cricket and it, and it did seem like a lot, you know, like 2005, everyone seemed to be behind the team at the time and um, you know social media started to kind of have a bit of a hype and Swanee doing the sprinkler dance and all those things. <laughs> it was a good time to, to be involved in the team. Well I remember being at university and I'd be watching it like three o'clock in the morning and like you, someone would get a wicket and you'd just scream like come on and then the foreign guys in, in my in my in my block were just like who the hell is this guy why are you shouting at this stupid time? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so England were whitewashed 5-0 as you mentioned but kind of on the previous tour of 06-07 so you're turning up and there's a kind of it's a bit of a cauldron I can imagine but what was the feeling in the camp like when you turned up in 2010-11? Um, yeah I mean I think in 2000 and uh, yeah I was involved in 2006-2007 the one day series and again we got whitewashed 5-0 um, by that great side with Shane Warne and McGrath and all those guys and um in that one day series, even though we actually came away winning that one day series, um, a lot of the guys were shot away, you know, guys were going out, getting pissed every night during games. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was kind of a bit shot away. Um, um, so yeah, going into that series in 2010, I think there's a lot of confidence building into that series and, and Andy Flower built up a squad of players that um, I guess with no baggage. And um, I think going into that 
you know, that, that series, um, we believed that we could win. Um, and I think uh, going into the warm-up games, we treated every game really seriously. It wasn't a warm-up. It was like we're going to try and win every single game. And, and I think we pretty much won every game in the warm-ups. And uh, we went into the first test uh, full of confidence. Didn't go great. Uh, I think Andrew Strauss got a third or fourth ball. Uh, but obviously, we managed to pull it back and draw that game. And the, the kind of momentum shifted when Cook and Trotty batted you know, all day on the fifth day. Um, and then early wickets at Adelaide. I didn't play in that game. Early wickets and a run out from Trotty at Adelaide. Yeah, the momentum just seemed to kind of go our way. And once we won that game at Adelaide, um, yeah, the confidence certainly grew. And um, the fans got behind us and we got to Melbourne and Sydney. And it just felt the whole whole of the country was behind us, even though we were in another country. So, yeah, yeah. it was great. I heard in the build-up to that you went away and uh, on, on some kind of camp and you, you um, broke or cracked a rib, uh, James Anderson's rib. Is that, can you verify that or is that um, internet conjecture? Uh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, there is a film out called The Edge, actually, and they do have a little bit of um, behind-the-scenes footage of that trip in Germany, um, uh, which, which certainly was, I actually got a lot out of that trip. It was, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, three or four days away in Germany. We didn't know where we were going, we were kind of like, you know, bags and put in a, put in a minibus and we turned it up and it was like, get out the car, put it back, back on and carrying bricks over our head and like doing press-ups in the middle of the night. It was, it was pretty sad. It was minus five degrees. Um, it was, it was really tough, but it, um, it kind of really brought us together, I think. You know, some people like KP said it was an absolute waste of time and he didn't get anything out of it and he couldn't have his, he couldn't have his mobile phone. <laughs> what a so, shock. Um, he found that pretty difficult. Um, but yeah, certainly being out the side for myself, I'd been out the squad for a couple of years. So coming in and being involved again, it certainly felt like I was kind of back in the mix. And, um, but, you know, everyone being in an uncomfortable environment brought a lot of people closer together. Um, and that moment you spoke about, we, we were meant to have, I can't remember who it was, Joe Kalzaki, I think, was meant to come and do some boxing training. <laughs> For some reason, he couldn't make it, but we ended up doing this boxing anyway. Um, for some reason, I was paired up against Jimmy Anderson and literally <laughs> put, a, put a head guard on and just try and beat the shit out of each other. For <laughs> um, And, you know, your natural instinct is when, when someone starts hitting you is to hit them back. And I whacked Jimmy really, really hard in his ribs. Um, and he cracked a rib. And actually, I think I fought Andrew Strauss and Tim, Tim Bresnan maybe as well. And I actually had a bit of a <laughs> dodgy rib for a <laughs> I'm not sure it was the best um, <laughs> idea. It was quite a good fun at the time. And I remember Key, Craig Keyswood and Kevin Peterson were literally having a proper brawl and like, properly going at each other. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think Jimmy Anson had a, had a crap rib for about four weeks and um, it was a bit touch and go by the uh, <laughs> first test. But luckily he was, he was fine. Yeah. There's, there's old Ashley Giles worried about uh, England playing football before the warm-up and then you guys yeah. just be a boxing each other. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, interesting. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they do it again. <laughs> yeah, things, things have changed a little bit, but yeah, no, it was, it was certainly it was something I'll never forget. It was, um, that was um, pretty surreal and we, and we were certainly put out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So I mean, talking about comfort zones, I mean, uh, in Perth, you kind of got we we're on the receiving end of a bit of a drubbing, um, but personally, you did pretty well. I mean, you've got the scalps of or soon to be best uh, batsman of all time, Steve Smith, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and Michael Clark, and then obviously uh, Mr. Cricket himself, David um, Michael Hussey. Um, so how, how did that kind of feel? Did it did it give you the confidence that you could play at the highest level? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I played a few tests before in two thousand seven. I was out out the side for about three years so I 
So I, I knew I was kind of good enough to to be involved and wanted to get back in back in the squad eventually or team eventually. And um, when Stuart Ball got injured in Adelaide, I knew there was going to be a spot available. And it, for me, it worked out that the bounciest pitch in the world was, um, you know, the next game about. And obviously, I'm the tallest bowler in the side. So, and I bowled quite well in the. We had a game in between, and I bowled quite well in that game. And um, luckily, got the nod. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's the best I've ever bowled in my career, to be fair, bowling up. So I think it was a fairly easy decision to give me the, the nod for that test match. But um, yeah, I, me- I remember the night before, I literally didn't sleep the whole night before. I just, I wasn't nervous. I was excited, but I was just, my brain was just rattling like, you know, how's it going to go? And you know, how am I going to bowl? Just, you know, and, and just kind of going through previous experiences I've had, had in Australia years and years before, because I'd actually been over there a lot and had experience with bowling in Australia. So it's just trying to, making sure I was bowling the fuller length and not get carried away with bowling too short. Um, and yeah, I didn't sleep the whole night, but went out, went out pretty nervous, excited. And I think I got a wicket with my third ball, bowled, bowled Philip Hughes with an absolute uh, beauty from nowhere. Um, and just that, that just settles the nerves straight away and um, settled into my spell quite nicely. And I think I had two or three wickets at lunchtime and yeah, I managed to get Steve Smith out and I think Michael Clark. Um, and yeah, bowled, bowled nicely, and I think got five wickets in the second innings. But you know, on the losing side, you know, Mitchell Johnson turned up that game and bowled unbelievable. He started swinging the ball around, and you know, I had to face him. I couldn't even see <laughs> swinging it, swinging it round corners. And he bowled. He, you know, he didn't. I think don't think he, I don't think he bowled great in the in the first, in the first first. I think he played in the first test didn't bowl very well. He got dropped for the second test, and then came back for the third test and bowled great. But then for the rest of the series, he, he didn't turn up again. But that, that test in Perth, he was unplayable and bowled, bowled really quick and got it swinging around. Um, but yeah, luckily we were able to, to bounce back uh, pretty quickly for the rest of the tour. But yeah, from, from a personal note, I certainly took a lot of confidence taking seven or eight wickets in that test match and feeling confident going to a, a 95,000-seater stadium in Melbourne. Well, I was going to say, so, I mean, playing in the Boxing Day test is surely what well, it's, it's a cricketer's dream, really. And like, you've got, as you say, like 95,000, 100,000 people. Um, one of our followers, Grace's Cricket Club, have asked kind of what was that like? What was the feeling like going into that environment? Yeah, it's just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I think, again, like during my career, it was always you'd watch, uh, you know, Australia, England on TV and when the the, the Boxing Day test match came about. I was like, yeah, I want to do that one day. And I guess as my career kind of went on, it was like another four years, I'm not going to play. Another four years, not going to play. Kind of working out, am I going to get that chance? And um, yeah, luckily, you know, the stars aligned, and I got got picked for that that trip, and was in the was in the was in the team for the, for that test match. And yeah, just turning up, it was like it's like no other experience you can ever have, just because the amount of people that are in the ground, and like I said, it's just like a coliseum type atmosphere. Um, and I always, I always just remember bowling my first couple of balls to Phil Hughes, and he crunched me for four. <laughs> Never heard a noise like it. Actually, kind of made me jump when I followed <laughs> through. It was like, oh, what, what was that? It was so loud, um, and yeah, just really intimidating. Uh, but at the same time, really made you concentrate and you know try harder. And uh, I think about yeah, I got, I think I went for eight in my first over, and was like, geez, I need to need to like used to get a wicket here. <laughs> a couple of maidens and then I bowled an absolute jaffa to Shane Watson in the second over and again it just settled the nerve and um but there you was it was it an LBW by any chance and uh, it was the only time it wasn't an LBW <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a it's a it's just outside of stump but it lifts on him and it's it's basically unplayable <laughs> yeah. yeah that one but yeah, yeah the rest of the time he yeah he whenever he got struck on the pad he was, was 
it was quite funny we're in the huddle and we were just you know Kate was chirping going what are you know that's out why are you? <laughs> um, yeah it was quite good fun and he just kept doing his LBWs and getting whacked on the pad and just playing across his um, front pad but um, but yeah but no that experience was just incredible and just the just the noise and uh, and bowling them out for just after lunch or whatever it was I can't you know I can't remember I think it, nine, I think 98 yeah 98 so you've got pretty much 95,000 Aussies yeah. and you just get to kind of stand there going I've just taken four of these yeah it was, it, was, it was weird because we, the weather wasn't actually that great I mean we, we, we cut on and off for rain and it was drizzling and then all of a sudden it got really muggy and hot around lunchtime and then um, and then Jimmy Anson got three or four wickets in absolutely no time and all of a sudden they were like 70 for seven or something and it's like oh my god what's going on and then we clean them up for, for 98 and um then I remember Straussy and Cookie went up to bat and the sun just like mm, came out and it was like this is a perfect game and, and at the end of the day we were 100 off and none it's like we've, we've won the game we're, we're not going to lose this game and, um, and yeah we batted for two days and it was fun <laughs> you bowled 10, 10, 15 overs put your feet up for two or three days and then go out and try and bowl them out again and obviously we did that it was a bit more hard work second time around but um, yeah just, just the perfect test match and to do it in front of 95,000 people at the start of the day. By the end of the day, there was about 20,000 people in the ground because they'd all, they'd all had enough and they'd all left and knew the game was probably, probably over. So, yeah, very, very satisfying because, you know, having been there in 2007, seeing it from an outsider's point of view and being there in 2013 in the, um, in the squad but not playing and getting absolutely thrashed again, it just wasn't very nice. So to have that experience to say I've been there and won, won there is pretty cool. Yeah. How about um, playing with some of those guys? Because you were in, in that series particularly, you were a key player in that side. What, what was it like being around Swan and Peterson? And well, I mean, like you could legitimately, you could say six or seven of those players could be in England's, uh, will be in the frame for England's best ever eleven. Um, yeah, no, I think I think it was a, again like a great, great, great kind of squad to be involved in. Um, you know, a lot of those players, I, I was involved in the national academy, which kind of started in early 2000, 2000, 2001. And I was kind of like the one of the really young guys. I was only 19, 20. And, um, you know, Straussy, Flintoff, um, Graham Swan, a lot of, a lot of you know, great players played in that kind of um, that side were in that, um, that environment for two, for two years, six months training in that environment. So I got to kind of grow up quite quickly and be around that environment and kind of learn quite quickly what it would take to get my fitness levels up to that, that kind of standard. And, you know, I need to try and get on a, a yard or two of pace to kind of get up to this. These guys, you know, had Harmison in the nets watching him bow when I was young. It's like, oh my god, this guy's incredible. He's going so so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just I guess it just kind of made me learn quite quickly, and um, yeah, just great to be around those guys at an early age, and uh, and then just to be in the same side of them. I get you just I guess in the end you just you take it for granted, and you just you just kind of get used to it and. I played with these guys a lot on, you know, A size and on the county circuit. So you get to know them personally from a different level, and then also you come to get together in a team, and they just they, you know, they're, they're your colleagues, but they do become your mates at the same time because you're spending so much time together. Um, but yeah, it's just you know, generally, you know, we had the the odd fallout um, more towards in 2013 when things weren't going so well. But generally, you know, everyone got on pretty well. Uh, even if they weren't getting on as mates, you know, they respected each other in the team as, you know, what they could do as a player. Um, everyone would, you know, once you step over that line, it was like, you know, do your job and, you know, KP would go out there and get runs. And if he was out driving Lamborghinis around Melbourne, <laughs> people off the field, um, you know, once he went out there and scored 100, no one really cared what he was doing off the field. I mean, people would wind, wind you up at times, you know, you know, the, the, all the stories always about KP and things like that. And, 
you know, the, the attention was taken away from Swanee and some of these guys who, who like the attention as well. Um, but once we, stepped over the, once we stepped over the line, um, you know, especially in those big test matches, it was like, right, we're, we're playing as a team, get the job done. So that, that was the main thing. And, uh, and more often than not, certainly in that, that period when we got to number one, um, we, we, when we stepped over the line, we did the business. Another player that we're sort of semi-fascinated with on um, on this podcast is Monty Panasar. What, what was it like <laughs> spending time with Monty? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've known Monty a long time. We're actually the same same age, um, so I, I kind of played with him under 19s cricket and all the, all the way through, and you know, played with him in the academy A, a sides and and for England. Um, yeah, he, he's a hard one to kind of describe really because he's he was such a timid kind of quiet chap kind of until he was in his you know mid to late twenties um and then I don't know for personal reasons he's he just kind of went off the boil a little bit and um you know you I guess when people do well for England and then you know they're in and out the side and you know I think Monty has taken a lot over one hundred and fifty wickets I think for yeah he's bowled well he's a good obviously he was england's England's main spinner for a long time, and I think when Graham Swan came along and kind of became the number one spinner. I don't know if it changed his mindset or he put more pressure on himself and um, other things, external things from outside of cricket kind of started to affect him. I, I'm not sure. Um, and no one really knows the true story. And look, I, I can't, you know, I, I still see Monty this day and I, I don't understand him. I don't, I don't sometimes know how he, how he operates. He's a bit, he's, but he's, he's very funny and he's got, that deep down he's got a heart of gold. And yeah. He loves the game. He, like, he loves the game more than probably anyone in that squad. He just wants to go out there and do well. He wants to take wickets. And he's like I said, he's the type of guy that will go back to his local club and play club cricket every Saturday. I've got no interest in doing that at all. I don't, I don't, I don't love the game that much. And you know, now I'm retired, I couldn't think of anything worse. But it just shows how <laughs> much kind of passion and love he's got for the game. And, you know, you see his Twitter and his Instagram, like with these crazy things he's doing and doing, you know, he's like bench pressing a chair and doing bits <laughs> from the chair. I mean, it's, 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 it's quite entertaining to watch. <laughs> you know, he's just... I think he's just trying to find himself um, after cricket, but uh, on the pitch, you know, just a you know, just a very passionate guy, and you know, once what, 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 like when he was out there, even with his batting, you could see how hard he was trying, you know, trying his eyes were like, you know, with room because he he's trying to watch the ball so much, especially in that you know that game at Cardiff when he when he drew it, drew it out with uh, Jimmy Anton, but it's just a trier and, and just a lover of the game, and just unfortunately. I think you know things have just um, you know, been in and out the side and pressures outside in his personal life has has, has caused him to be, to be in the media at times for the wrong reasons. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think all England fans will, will will have a special place in their heart for Monty Panesar. Yeah, and I think I think he's, yeah. he deserves it. You know, he's he was kind of like a cult, you know, cult kind of character, wasn't he? And, yeah, cult character who played fifty Test matches. So yeah, exactly. People yeah. forget that's a, that's a lot of games for England and. He's taken a lot of wickets and he and he's won a lot of games for England. You know, people, you know, p- people who can remember that far back, you know, will remember that he he was, you know, at his best. He was he was a top class spinner and he, you know he got he got Sachin Tendulkar fun, you know, and uh, <laughs> time was, was the best. Yeah, not a bad buddy to have that. Is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think you could have done with a Monty Panesar celebration actually. <laughs> just, I'm, not, I'm not sure that would have suited me. I'm a bit more like. A bit more, Reserved, but, um, but, but that was a funny thing about Monty because he was so reserved and so quiet. You know, he wouldn't in, in a team in the dressing room, he wouldn't speak to anyone. And then you take a wicket, and all of a sudden, he's like off running around the ground. And it's like, what's this come from? It was just, it was just like bizarre. But he, yeah, like you said, he created this character and 
uh, and the fans just yeah, absolutely loved him. It's a bit like Imran Tahir for South Africa, you know, Hampshire, just a really quiet, lovely guy. And then he turns up playing for Hampshire and he gets a wicket and all of a sudden he's, he's in the groundsman hut celebrating. It's like, where, where's this guy gone? So yeah, some guys just have such a passion when they take a wicket. It really just shows how much they, how they, how much they love the game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving back in time, so to the 2005 Ashes. So you were 12th man on a, a few occasions yeah, I was there. In the squad for the first four tests, and then I missed out for the last one. But yeah, I was in the squad. So when it when it comes to it, so you've obviously been involved in some of like the highest points of English cricket from our memory, you know, from our living memory. Um, kind of around that kind of team, what was that like? Because that seems like quite a different team to the one that won down under in Australia. Yeah, I think I think things were quite different then. You know, there weren't. I think central contracts were just come, coming about then. So there was certainly, I don't know if there was central contracts then, but there was certainly more inconsistency with um, selection, like around that time. Um, but during that 2005 Ashes, you know, they obviously they picked a squad of 12 and they, they kept it for that four. But, you know, from a personal level, I felt like I, I didn't know where I was at sometimes with the selection policy. And, you know, I'd, I'd find out on the radio if I was in the squad or not. And, um, it's certainly it's certainly changed a lot now, and with central contracts, you you certainly you know when I was involved in 2010, I felt um, yeah a lot a lot more looked after, especially as like an injury prone bowler. I didn't feel like in 2005 the setup was there to kind of look after a, an injury prone bowler like myself. Whereas now, like you know Joffre Archer and Mark Wood, you know that they're, they're looked after and their overs are monitored, and you know I might have lasted a little bit longer in this this era, um, but. Um, but no, I think in that you know that era it was, um, I mean that was just a, a changing point for English cricket. And I came in uh, again like I, I was bowling very well. I think I, I deserved the place in the squad, um, but it was a little bit of a surprise and certainly very daunting to kind of be involved in such a big thing. And it came came out of nowhere really. And um, we got absolutely thrashed in the first test. Um, but at the same time, I remember just just the belief that the guys had, uh, and there wasn't that kind of. Fear, fear factor that I think they've had in in other years. Obviously, sort of, you know, some of the guys in the squad, the Vaughan, Streskovic, they were they were a lot older than me, and they 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 had a bit more baggage against Australia in two thousand one and two thousand four and these these type of, types of things. But um, but yeah, there was there's that, that belief really, and you know, even when we got we got absolutely thrashed at Lords that um, went to Edgewood, and obviously McGrath stepped on the ball, and I remember this confidence kind of went round the dressing room when when McGrath stepped on the ball, <laughs> um, uh, and they and England went out there and. I think you know Ricky Ricky Ponting made a pretty bad call on the toss, and and you know Michael Vaughan said right we've just got to take take advantage and be positive, and I think England were 400, 400 after the first day. Uh, obviously the the game turned out being really really close, you know one by two runs or whatever three runs, but um, again just that that momentum shift winning that game it it, it just changed and the momentum just um, there was just just that belief there that we can beat these guys and. Shane Warne isn't invincible because there was always this thing about Shane Warne just being unplayable and how are we going to play him and he's going to get in our heads and I think there's just so much baggage with him and McGrath um, once once they kind of got over that and want to get that game at Edgbaston uh, and I turned up at um, for the squad at Old Trafford um, and Trent Bridge there was just such a different feeling and a confidence it's like yeah these, these guys are going to go out and, and do the business and um, it, was, it was unfortunate that they didn't carry on that that kind of momentum longer you know I guess 2005 we won the Ashes and whether we got carried away and you know we didn't back it up for, for long long enough I'm not sure I'm not sure if it matters because I always remember that series just because it was such a tight great series and 
it was it certainly made people watch cricket again and, and and obviously i think at the time it was on terrestrial tv and channel four so you know people a lot of people were watching it um so yeah it was for me i was 22 23 kind of making my way in the game and but <clears throat> i didn't get to play i was in the squad but it was just just a great thing for me to watch and be involved in and go god i'd, I'd love to do that one day and it's it kept me motivated you know when i did get injured every year having another operation it's like just remember that you know 2005 series you can really make your name for yourself if you if you do well in Ash, in an ashes series people will remember you uh, even gary pratt you know got that run out people is <laughs> just because he got a run out so it just shows you know you can play a test match against india and pakistan and people won't really remember who you are or what you did but if you if you do it against australia in a big big occasion people will uh, remember those occasions because uh, it's such a big occasion for cricket, as we know. The, the Ashes is the biggest, um, you know, contest in, in Test cricket. Mm-hmm. And you also the you had the best seat in the house, right? As well. What's it like sitting on the Lord's balcony? <laughs> Just kind of be like, this is rather good. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah back in there. Yeah, I, I think it's still the same now. But you you basically be there for like the first day or the first couple of days, and then unfortunately you'd have to go back and play for for your camp. You'd kind of watch, especially at Lords. The best thing about Lords was having the lunch. So you'd definitely <laughs> say to the manager, oh, I'd stay for a couple of days, you know. Yeah, especially if you're not bowling. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just do a bit of bowling in the nets rather than go that But um, yeah, no, Lords was great. And yeah, uh, it was just yeah, great to watch, you know, the legends, you know, War and even the, on the other side, but the legends like War McGrath um, and then Harmison, you know, I just, yeah, even Harmison, he was a bit erratic. I just loved watching him. But, yeah, when he got, got it right and he bowled quick, I just loved watching Harmison bowl, Flintoff bowl at, at their best. And, you know, Harmison on that first set, Lord bowled and came in and bowled absolutely rapid and hit Ponting in the face. Um, and he got five wickets, I think, and he came off. And I just remember he, he came in and he ate, the, he actually came in and ate a whole cheesecake. He was, <laughs> he, he just absolutely, Harmy just absolutely loved his food. Like, you know, he, <laughs> uh, put on a few stone now but I remember he bowled his overs and got five wickets and he came out and he went oh get me one of those cheesecakes and it's like he didn't just have a slither he literally had like the whole the whole thing and he just he'd sit there and when he wasn't when he when he wasn't bowling when we were batting he'd just eat and eat and eat and eat uh, you know, everyone would want to take advantage at Lord's <laughs> you you mentioned the um, Shane Warne and, and um, you mentioned earlier Ricky Ponting you're maybe not unique but, but possibly unique in English cricket in that you um, were in the same dressing room as both of them I think in county cricket uh, yeah. as well as as well as being sort of uh, on the opposite side of the fence what, what are those two like um, for and against if you get what I mean yeah I mean yeah I was incredibly lucky to play with with guys like that um, especially at Hampshire I mean Shane Warren came over as our captain for three or four years um, and I don't you know, I've, I've said it before, but I don't think I would have been the player I, I was if, if I hadn't had him as my captain. And, you know, I, I always could bowl and I, I always had an inner confidence in myself, but there was always something, whether it's like my body language or I just wasn't getting it quite right. Uh, and Shane Warren kind of made me realise what I had to do to kind of get to the next level. It's like, you know, this is where you need to get aggressive at this time and this is the way you've got to bowl here. And, you know, there'll be times when my body language might be poor. And I didn't, I didn't know, but he was like, he's telling me like, you need to like, lift your shoulders or whatever. It was just little, little things that kind of made me really, you know, kind of realise if I wanted to get to the next level, I had to kind of improve and change. And he certainly got the best out of me at Hampshire and, and made me learn <clears throat> what, I, um, what I needed to do to get that level. And I remember he had a book that came out uh, and he signed it. And he said, in my nickname was Goober, he said, Goober, I hope the penny has dropped. And he signed it, Shane Warren. And I remember that. It's like, yeah, it has. And I, you know, I, even though he didn't think I was listening, I was always 
taking in the things that he was saying. Um, and yeah, see, it's just like I said, he, he played for Australia and he was Australian, but he, again, like, like Monty Panasar, just had such a passion for the game. And whether he's playing for Hampshire in a, in a Division 2 game against Camorgan or whether it was a test match, he'd have the same sort of passion to go out there and just want to win. Um, and, and yeah, he, yeah, he was inspirational for our, for our dressing room and for me. And I certainly learned a lot off him. Um, didn't, didn't really get to play against him, but I certainly played with him a lot. I played a lot of county cricket with him. Uh, and then saw him, obviously, during that 2005 Ashes from the dressing room. Uh, and then Ricky Ponting, I played a bit against, obviously, in Australia. And then he came and played for Surrey <clears throat> for a couple of years. And, yeah, just expectations of when you play against someone, like this little aggressive man, genius. Um, but so, yeah, so aggressive in your face. Just, you know, when you're batting, just like in your face, thinking you're a lanky piece of shit, whatever. Like, <laughs> so intimidating. As such a small guy as well. So intimidating. <laughs> Um, but you know, someone I like idolised growing up, watching him play that hook shot into the ground. You know, just like he's you know just a fantastic player. So bowling at him for the first time, I remember at Perth, my I think my first couple of balls to him, or third ball to him, it was back of length. And he just pulled me for four, and I thought, Jesus, this guy, is, <laughs> he's going to try and take me on. He's just really hard to bowl to. Um, and because I was like, you know, I knew his tactic was to kind of go hard at me, and that's that's what he does. If he if he can see a weakness in someone or if he can take someone down, he'll he'll go at you hard, and he, he is very hard to bowl to. But um, as as a guy coming coming to Surrey, um, just such a such a different guy in person, such a gentleman, like such a lovely guy, would throw throw balls to all the youngsters, you know, try and help them out. Um, Headingly, I remember we we were away for a couple of days, he was making all the guys cups of tea. Ricky Ponting's like throwing in trays of tea for all the Surrey boys. It's like this is really surreal. Ricky Ponting's making me a cup of tea. This is this shouldn't shouldn't be how it is. We should all be like, you know, bowing. Together. But yeah, just, just just you know, it's like a lot of the overseas players that come come over. You do get a few um, guys that think they're you know at times bigger than the game or whatever. But generally, the Australian guys and the South African guys when they come over, they they're just normal people and they just they they're just really nice guys. And been lucky enough to play with so many good overseas players and. Um, and get to know them personally um, and like I said more times than not those really nice nice people and uh, yeah just to play with two legends like that was was, was great and uh, more sorry had you know Amla Sangrakara these guys you know just very blessed to be able to um, you know walk on the same field as these guys Graham Smith you know these you know absolute legends of the game just very lucky to have those experiences and kind of cricket with these guys with these, uh, these guys so, was there, so I mean, cricket is one of those things where, as you say, you get to almost play with your mates, and sometimes you end up playing with people you don't really want to play play with. Was there anyone in particular that you kind of grew up playing that you just loved playing cricket with? Um, loved playing cricket. Um, yeah, it's okay to say no. I mean, cricket is a very individual kind of sport, and you can be like, actually, Chris Tremlett is who I want to be, and I don't want to get anyone else. <laughs> I think. I mean, I play, you know, just I mean, it's like like just guys that grew up. You know, there's a few guys I grew up in Hampshire with, just you know, through their age group. So. It, as simple as it sounds, it's just, you know, I played with like Jimmy, Ad- Jimmy Adams at Hampshire, for example. I played with him when I was 10 or 11. And then all of a sudden you're playing in the first team together and winning games <laughs> in a championship game. It's not as glamorous as playing for England or whatever. But um, just, just some of those guys in county cricket that I, yeah, like I said, grew up playing with when I was 12, 13. And then you go on to play professional games with these guys and share a dressing room and you see, you see each other grow up and go through different stages of your life. That is, that is quite cool and quite special. And uh, and all those guys today, they're still guys that I keep in touch with, and you've got such a bond with because you've you've known them for so long and you've had so many different experiences with each other. And 
you know, the guys you play against for, with, with, with England, it's like you're in and out the side and you don't, you know, the England dressing room compared to the county dressing room is slightly different. You're, the county dressing room is like your family because you're with them all the time in the winter, you're training with each other. You get to know these guys so well and they do become your friends. Um, and, you know, England, England, if you're in the side all the time, that's a similar scenario. But for me, because I was in and out the side and, you know, I was in with different areas, you know, the 2005 era, 2010 era, you know, you don't get to know people quite well. Um, they're, they're more like colleagues or acquaintances, but certainly some of the guys in county cricket, they've, they've, they've you know, become real good friends. And, you know, when I see them, it's like nothing's changed and you've, you've all those cool memories and that, you, that you talk about, you know, 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> was, was there anyone you didn't get on with? Would you ever, did you have a rivalry with uh, anyone that kind of ever, not bubbled over, but was always quite, was there? Um, not really, I think... I'm I'm pretty you know laid back you know kind of guy, but the only guy that really wound me up was David Warner. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't not like Dave Warner, but um, just he just I just thought he was a bit of a bit of a twat really. <laughs> you know he, yeah just 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 a controversial answer there. Yeah, we just you know, just just do things. I was like, what you know? Why are you doing that? Why would you say that? You know, like you know, even when you know Jonathan Trot got out in in Brisbane or whatever, he's saying, oh, you know, Trot's scared and all this. It's like, just stupid, dumb things to say. And, you know, you can, it's the Aussie kind of way, but, you know, just certain things you did and it was just silly. And I just remember in 2013, you know, just, I would run, be running on a, with drinks and he's like sledging me at point. I'm like, mate, I'm carrying the drinks on. You don't, I'm not carrying, you don't have to sledge me. And he'd literally just be going so hard at me. And it's like, mate, there's, there's, there's no need for this, but... Yeah, just I just thought he he was just one guy that was just a bit irritating. But I can't really think of too many others. There would have been a few teammates in county cricket throughout throughout the year. They would have done the old thing that wound me up. But no, there's, there's not too many guys. There's no one I'd say I, I hate or they've done something so badly that I you know want to kill them type of thing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it must have been terrible to you watching Stuart Broad destroy David Warner last <laughs> yeah, exactly. year. Yeah, he, he, he would just be one guy that really wound me up. So yeah, seeing Broady clean him up last last uh, year and you know obviously like the sandpaper thing it was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like it doesn't surprise me he'd do something like that because you know just some th- things I've kind of seen before but, um, yeah he, he kind of really you know be the only one yeah um, one of the other things we, we, we ask pretty much all of our guests uh, we're we're keen tourists uh, on, on this podcast um, what what was your favourite cricket tour that you've been on um again like uh, the, the ashes was hard to beat <laughs> yeah. i mean that's right you can say that <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i think i think the caribbean is probably the best one to go on in terms of you know where you are and it's back and i didn't actually do one with england but i've been there been there a couple of times with, with counties <clears> and, and other trips but um for me yeah, the ashes always sticks out because i just remember we literally won every single game um social media wasn't big then it was only just starting twitter had literally just about started so we were going out if we won a game we were out all night every night <laughs> everything i was single having the time of my life you know <laughs> picking up women left right and center just having <laughs> the dream the dream tour really um so it, did, it didn't get any better than that we won every game from perth i think um we went out and got pissed every time we won which was every week um and it was just it was great and you know having done it in 2006 you know six and seven on the other end and you know we're getting wallops and getting abused by the aussies every single time and then 
2010, the Aussies, they like you go out and they go, oh, you know, they're on our side. It felt like they were on our side. And you went back again in 13. It was like you go out and people just shouting you down the street. This isn't nice. So I was just staying in, the, I'll stay in my hotel room again. But um, yeah, it was, just, it was just a nice time to be in Australia and just a nice time to win. But um, yeah, I've just been lucky enough to go on so many you know, good tours and been so many times. That's a great place to go. And they got the vineyards and you know, nice things to do. Caribbean, again, Blue Sea and whatever. Um, you know, India, India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, those Bangladesh, they're the ones that aren't so glamorous because the security reasons and, and those sort of things, you're kind of nailed into your hotel a little bit. So those tours do drag on a little bit and you have to kind of find things to do between yourselves, you know, between, between games. And, you know, sometimes you start real early because of the, for the daylight there. Like sometimes you start the game at like nine in the morning. So it's, <clears throat> it's a bit of a different experience and the food is different and you generally get shits a couple of times when you're there as well. Uh, so yeah, Australia, South Africa, Caribbean, they're, they're, the, they're the great tours and they're always yeah. good. I, th- I think that's more or less David Gower's answer as well. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think you know. Like I said, now, now social media is is bigger. You, you you can't you can't do the things you used to be able to do. You know, there's always going to be someone taking a picture of you, or to be looking over your shoulder like what you're doing. So it's you you can't enjoy it quite as much as as we used to. I mean, um, going back to the early 2000s in county cricket, I mean that was different out every single night of the game. Um, you know, how, how the game is, has, has moved on in the last 20 years is, is very different. But I'm, I'm very grateful to have seen both sides of it, you know, getting, getting pissed every day in a, during a four-day game to, you know, taking it mega seriously and doing fitness every day. You know, it's, um, I've seen kind of two sides to different eras. So, um, but me, it's certainly, like I said, it's very professional now. And, you know, I think the intensity of, you know, the intensity of the game has gone up and it's, and it's kind of clear to see, you know. Um, you know, it's um, it is different. You you can't get away with going out every night and getting getting on the beer every night. You use. Well, you'll be happy to know in amateur cricket that that that's still, still happens. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. It's good to know. Um, <laughs> we, um, a little bit closer to home. You, are, according to Ross's research, you're the fourth grandson of a grandfather to play Test cricket. Um, your dad, in between you and your granddad, didn't play Test cricket. Was that ever tense at Christmas dinner? <laughs> um no it wasn't tense but uh, my dad is actually quite he's quietly competitive um and yeah i would say my grand i think my granddad played three tests and i i played loads but i played 10 but my dad was a very good county player i think he played for 15 16 years and um obviously played in a slightly different era but um you know he was nothing glamorous i think he was like a you know 75 78 mile hour medium pace so he did a job averaged 22 and then got you know, average 23, 24 with the bat. Um, but yeah, but didn't play for England. Um, and actually, I when I passed him, in, I think he got 450 odd wickets. I, uh, and once I passed him, it was weird. I kind of, my motivation actually kind of dropped a little, <laughs> kind of beat my dad a little bit. Um, coincidentally with a few injuries and stuff. But um, I certainly remember when I got passed him in first class wickets, I certainly collected and said, you know, I've got more wickets than you. But obviously got the England kind of, um, hat over him but um, I think he kind of realised you know with my height and my pace if I you know make the most of my attributes and my potential I always had the, the chance to, to go on and play for England uh, from that, that perspective um, but yeah no, but, but yeah joking apart he was also my kind of one of my kind of reasons for playing the game and wanting to you know succeed and, and, and go on and play the game and 
uh, you know, 16, 17, <clears throat> I kind of discovered drink and alcohol and going out um, and, you know, kind of got a little bit drawn towards that. And he was like, well, if you really want to take this seriously, you're going to have to, you know, not do that as much. And you can't go on holiday with your mates in the summer. You're going to have to make a few sacrifices and, and do the right thing. So um, he was certainly a you know, kind of stern, um, gave me some stern advice at the right times to, 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 to make it. And even though he would you know, give me advice, I didn't want to listen to him because of my dad, he was generally right. So if I was really struggling. I'd go and speak to my dad and say, you know, any suggestions, what do you think? And he was always a good kind of go-to. And, and my years at Hampshire, he was always there as a director of cricket at the time. So it was always good to have him on your side. Even though I kind of <laughs> made out I never listened to him. I, I like Shane Warne, I was always worth listening. Um, yeah, he was good mm -hmm. to have around. Oh, so I love that. Uh, after the Ashes series, so when it, when, when it all went very well, you went to Sri Lanka and you kind of rolled through Sri Lanka. Well, it was in England, I think. Um, I mean, after taking the wickets of like big name batsmen, I mean, like Jar Wardner was on there. We've already spoken about Steve Smith and Michael Hussey. Um, was there a favourite wicket of yours, or did, did you have a bunny? Do we like bunnies on here? Um, well, I think Steve Smith was actually. I think I've got him out four or five times. Um, so I wouldn't say he was my bunny, but yeah, <laughs> fifty odd wickets, and I've got him out four or five times. <laughs> But no, I actually found him, even though he got him out a few times, you could always kind of tell he he had something special about him. He had a little bit more time than some of the other guys. And I think it took him just a little bit longer to find himself. And, you know, he kind of started out as a spinner that bowled a bit. Uh, and I think when he kind of believed that he was in the team as a batsman and not this kind of spinning all round or whatever, he, you know, he kind of went to the next level, but he was always kind of awkward to bowl. So even, you know, I remember at Sydney in 2011, even though the game was gone, he, he batted it on the last day and got 50 or 60. And he just hit the ball in really weird areas. It's like, how's he hit me there? That's a really good shot. And uh, those guys can be the toughest guys to bowl to. You know, like your Tendulkers and Dravids and those guys, they're so hard to get them out. But you knew if you bowled your, your best ball, they would just, they'd respect it or leave it. Like guys like Hayden and Gilchrist and Steve Smith, um, Warner, those sort of players, they, they hit your best balls to four and you go back again, mm. oh, that's my best ball. Where am I going? <laughs> um, uh, I found that quite difficult to bowl at players like that. Darren Lehman was another one in county cricket. He would just walk across and whip me over square leg for four or six out of nowhere. Uh, and it'd be one of my, my good length balls. And it was like, well, if you've done that, where am I going to bowl my next one? It's kind of getting your head. So, um, but no, the. I wouldn't say I had any any bunnies. I just preferred bowling to good solid players because I knew if I bowled my best ball to them or you know good <clears throat> good liner length ball, they would respect it. Um, uh, and I guess my kind of uh, tactic of bowling really was to keep it pretty like McGrath, keep it pretty simple. Just bowl liner length, liner length. You know the odd one's going to you know vary off a length or whatever, and 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 the, the, the batsman will make the mistake. That was my generally my my way of bowling. At times I would try and go a little bit more aggressive if the pitch suited. But yeah, my, my, my tactic was pretty boring, just by my best ball every ball. Um, so, yeah, those, those kind of good, good players like your Tendulkers and Dravids and that would respect your ball, I found them easy to bowl to. But the guys that really went after me, um, I found them a little bit more hard work. Yeah. I'm going back to a little bit earlier in the interview, you mentioned The Edge, the um, like documentary film um, that kind of covers Andy Flowers' tenure as, as coach. What was um what was Andy like to to play under? Because you kind of hear two versions. You hear the the Peterson story, and then you yeah. hear the Strauss version of events, if you like, and, and they are quite different. Um, yeah, I, I'd probably sit in I'd probably sit in the middle. Like 
um, certainly when I came back into the, the setup, um, I thought Andy was absolutely brilliant. Um, generally throughout my, my, my three or four years with, with that, in that kind of period, I was a bit in and out. I had a back, back surgery in between, knee surgery as well. But um, yeah, he was, I just thought he was brilliant. You know, his, his, his way of kind of going about things. And <clears throat> it was, uh, whenever we won, even though we wanted to go out and party and celebrate, it was always about, right, we've done that. It's now let's we move on to the next game. We forget about that. Uh, and yeah, you know, when we won the Ashes and you know things like that, we'd celebrate like we had one night and we celebrated, and it was like, right, that's it. You're not you're not celebrating. And it was like, come on, Andy, we've just won the Ashes. Like, give us a few nights out or whatever. It was like, no, we we, tra- we trained like two days after the, the 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 night we won the the Ashes. It was like, God, like, <laughs> give us a bit of time off. But that was how kind of driven he was as a coach and. Um, yeah, he was always kind of wanted to move forward and get better, and it was like the the, the aim was to get to number one. And when we won the Ashes in in ten eleven, we weren't number one. I think we were still number three or whatever. Uh, we still had a lot of work to do to uh, to get you know beat Sri Lanka and beat India to get to number one. So it was always that next goal. Um, but yeah, it was always it was always quite intense under Andy. He was a quite an intense coach, and then we had a a management um, you know team yeah, management team around him that. You know, you go to, go to you know David Saker would be my kind of go-to as as the bowling coach, um, and then some of my batting stuff I'd speak to Graham Gooch and then occasionally Andy Flower. Um, but yeah, he, he he was kind of like during sessions he kind of would be fairly intense, but you know sit from the background. But then we'd have a team meeting, he would be you know there heading heading it and, and saying how it is really. And I think he you know like I said he's just a good honest coach, and I think communication. Most of the time during his his um, his reign was very good. I just think the only time it uh, it kind of went a bit tits up really was in in thirteen. You know, we started losing. Graham Swan left the tour three games down at Perth, and uh, it, it became yeah quite difficult from that moment on. And I think no one really wanted to be there when we were three 0 down going to Melbourne, uh, and your one of your senior players had left and you know, said he was going to retire. Uh, and then Andy, yeah, he just got very intense and. You know, kind of everyone started squabbling and everyone went off the rails. So it did kind of end a little bit sour uh, and people did fall out. But, you know, as a, as a whole over, you know, what is he, four or five years? Uh, and, I, and I worked with him as well before he became Indian coach. I think he's, he's, he's an excellent, excellent coach and an excellent man manager. And that is the hardest thing about being a coach is you've got, <clears throat> you know, 20, 25 guys in a squad, you know, in and out over a few years you've got to manage and you've got to try and keep their expectations high and uh, and, and you want them you know if they're in and out the side you want them to come back and you've got to t- you know tell them the right things so it's it is a very very hard job you don't appreciate how hard it is uh, doing that, that type of job it's not not really the coaching it's the managing of players and especially when you've got some big names and big egos like Swans, Broads, Andersons, Petersons all, you know trying to get them all to merge and get on and be the best players they can it can be quite tough um, but yeah, credit to Andy over over his period of time in general. You know, he got us to number one when we were pretty pretty average in two thousand and nine. Um, he, he saw a vision and and we, and we went in a direction all together. And and, and he drove it really uh, along with Andy Strauss, who was a fantastic leader, um, you know, very kind of militant. But yeah, they, they, those two together was were were a fantastic um, unit, and I really really enjoyed playing under them. 
Uh, I mean, you're talking around the fallout of um, kind of that that tour. What what did you kind of make of it? Because I mean, from an outside perspective, it's obviously blown out of all kind of proportions. It's like it's the front page of the uh, red tops, and you're kind of sitting there. Oh, well, actually, from an internal bit, was it just was it just a natural end of the cycle for Andy Flowers? Kind of uh, right? Yeah, I mean, we just you know, I think I think we I remember we we got to Australia thinking we we're going to absolutely wipe the floor with Australia. We, you know, we beat them quite easily at home, and they weren't playing their best cricket, but um, I remember Mitchell Johnson bowled a, a, you know I think we played him in a one day series in England um, and he bowled pretty quick and you know I remember Jonathan Trott saying oh yeah he did bowl pretty quick and Matt, and Matt Pryor saying oh yeah he, he bowled quick in that one day series if only he could, he could get it together in Australia I think there was always that threat of Mitchell Johnson if he could get it right um, there, there would be you know they, they could challenge us a little bit um, but, but the overriding kind of feeling was definitely like we're going to thrash these guys again um, uh, and then I think we got to Brisbane and, and it all went horribly wrong on that first first day. Um, we got bowled out cheaply and whatever. And Mitchell Johnson did turn up and bowl incredibly <laughs> fast. Like, and, you know, guys were coming in going, they were, you know, they weren't scared, but they were like, that is seriously, seriously fast. You know, that is, I'm really having to work to play that. Um, and I, yeah, I played in that first test match and faced him. And that was, yeah, it's probably the fastest, you know, I remember seeing Brad Haddon 30, 40 feet. <laughs> that that <laughs> was incredible where he was taking the ball and how fast he was bowling so as a tail ender it was not fun to face that um but yeah and and yeah and for, and I could and I remember going back to the hotel when we lost that game and just the mood just completely changed and Matt Pryor one of the senior players you know John you know, Metro Johnson dog so quick and you know there's there's just a bit of a you know bit of a bit of fear bit of fear there or you know a bit of negativity there that wasn't there at the start of the tour uh, and once that kind of creeps into your your dressing room and you start having a couple of bad performances that, and that momentum shifts and you know, the Australians, when they get momentum, they really roll with it. And then when they've got their, their fans behind them as well and their media, um, it's, it's just a really, really hard t- place to, to play cricket. Uh, and that certainly was a hard tour. And, and like I said, we were just getting wiped every game. <clears throat> and, you know, a lot of the senior players were coming towards the end of their careers, you know, Graham Swan, you know, his, his elbow was gone and Matt Pryor, he was struggling with injuries and, uh, Kevin Peterson himself kept getting injured um, so they, they're all coming towards the end of their kind of reign and Alistair Cook at the time had only just started his captaincy so he had quite a, a tough gig trying to take on these you know older senior players who had a bit of a whinge at times when things weren't going their way um, and yeah it just it just yeah it just came to a, a sour end unfortunately and like I said we, we lost at Perth and I think Graham Swan going home after three test matches didn't set a great tone even though I love swanning to bits um, I think he should have stayed on tour just to, for the morale of the rest of the side because it it was a it was a kind of horrible last three weeks and I didn't I didn't want to be there it was just um, I didn't really I didn't play but you know they brought in some of the <clears throat> the squad players like Boyd Rankins and Scott Borthwicks and these guys and Gary Balance played and these guys but <clears throat> they were a bit of a hiding to nothing because you know no one really wanted to play because yeah we were already four nil down at Sydney, it was like, well, just chucking the, the young guys to, to have a game, really. It was, a, it, was a, it was a strange feeling. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just sad that everyone, you know, not everyone, but people fell out over it when, when generally they got on so well for such a long period of time. And obviously we've shared some good, good memories together. And I think, I think everyone's at now has kind of put it to bed. I think when KP sees Cookie and Swanee, they kind of, they, they kind of like, you know, they've forgotten about it now. And, you know, they've, they've moved on finally, which is good. Like you said, overall they've they've had some great times together and they've they've won a lot of games of cricket for England over a long period of time. So it's just sad that one tour can 
kind of make you fall out uh, over, over certain things. But yeah, I'm sure they're favouring now, hopefully. Yeah. Um, from your own perspective, obviously your career, played 12 t- tests, took 50 wickets, um, at a, a really good average. A lot of them away from home as well. Um, what Do you ever look back on your own career and think, what, what would have happened if I'd played 50 tests or 60 tests? Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, certainly as a youngster, that was my, my goal. I mean, Rob Marsh was coach of the academy and he was like, you know, if you can keep fairly fit, he reckons, <clears throat> he said, I reckon you'd play 50 tests. He said, you're not going to play 100 tests because your body isn't going to hold up, <clears throat> which I, you know, I wish I could kind of see with it. I was always, always had problems, always had injuries, always something. But yeah, it's just, I think it's just the way it is. I always believed that I was, once I'd kind of played for England, even in one day cricket, I, I kind of knew I was good enough. But certainly when my body was, was fit and ready to go, when my body was <clears throat> a bit, bit beaten down and I was running off painkillers every day of the week, which was most of my career, but, um, you know, sometimes it was like I'm literally hanging on by a thread and playing. Um, it, was, it was hard work and I wasn't doing myself justice at times, but that's, you know, that's sport for you. You can't always be at your best. You're rarely, you know, as a, as a bowler, you've always got some sort of injury. Um, yeah, it's, it is what it is. I, I, again, I just, I just feel very lucky to, you know, knowing how many, I can't explain to people how many injuries I've had. Like, people would never believe me if I said, I think I've had, I've had 150 odd, maybe 200 MRI scans. I was literally lived in hospital. It was, it was constant. And for the last 10 years of my career, I was on painkillers every day. It was like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a glamorous lifestyle. Um, I met like my back operation in 2011, 12. I wanted to come back so badly to the point where I was getting up at <clears throat> seven in the morning, popping painkillers, getting in the hot bath to stretch. Like I was doing whatever I could to to get to get through the, the a game or um, to try and get back on another tour. Like it, it was it was hard work, but it was it was all worth it. But um, you know, not like I'm not like a Stuart Broad or Jimmy Anson. My body just didn't allow me to just keep going, unfortunately. So. I think if my body was better to me, and I, maybe if I didn't have a couple of injuries um, that I did uh, quite so early in my career, things might have been different. But um, and you know, and you've been picked at different times in your career. But you know, I, I definitely don't have any regrets. I and overall, like I said, knowing <clears throat> the injuries I've had, I'm just I'm very lucky to play as long as I did and have a 16-year career. I think I did at the end of the day. So um, it was it was hard at times, but. At the same time, I, I loved it, and I'm very grateful to have had the experiences that I had. And um, yeah, I would have loved to have played 50 tests and take 200. <laughs> it just wasn't wasn't to be. And you know, there's a lot of guys in the same boat. You know, Simon Jones is another one. Like, if if, if he'd had a bit more luck, you know, if he hadn't died for that ball, like things like that, his career might be very different. But it isn't. You just have to you just have to suck it up. And um, at the end of the day, I think you just have to appreciate the times that you had and, and say that I I still achieve what I did. So. Um, yeah, just 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 try and remember the good things rather than negative things. Really, well, you, you said uh, near the top of the show that there was no ambition to go back and play like, any club cricket. So kind of missing cricket is probably not there. Uh, you've kind of transformed yourself what, into a, is it a bodybuilder now? Is what is what you're going uh, for? No, oh, I mean I, I train. I don't. I think I'm not. I'm saying not a bodybuilder. I don't want to. I don't want to be strutting around in a pair of in a thong or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, <Wrong>. I just. <laughs> Yeah, tan. Uh, no, I think I think um, I think in cricket you kind of, you know, I always I always like was very skinny kid. My nickname is Twiggy. I was really really skinny. I was always a tall kid. I mean, I was six foot five, six foot six at school. I was ducking under the doors, and I was I always was really big, um, but very very skinny. And I always wanted to get a bit bigger. And then I, 
with cricket, even though I was probably, I was quite big for a cricketer. Um, but, you know, naturally you had to be quite lean and, you know, you know, you're doing a lot of running and a lot of cardio. So you're, not, you're never going to be like a huge, hugely built person. So that's Rakeem Cornwall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a big lad, to be fair. Um, but yeah, so when I retired, it's just like, I, you know, I've been training a certain way for so long, you know, rowing, running, you know, did, did some weights doing cricket, but it was just a completely different way of training. And uh, um, yeah, since I retired, just I've kind of like, kind of got a bit of a passion for lifting weights and training in a different way. Um, it's more just like for a lot of it's for mental kind of health reasons. I just love, I always have done, I just love working out. Um, and, and now I can work out the way I want to work out. I just do the things that I know my body can do and, and the things that I enjoy. So it's, I try a bit, you know, bodybuilder type style training. I don't have any ambition to be a bodybuilder. I just enjoy, you know, the, the challenge of getting stronger and lifting weights. Um, but like I said, it's just like a daily routine. My, my missus loves training. It's part of our kind of um, <clears throat> daily routine, really. But yeah, a lot of it is just for, you know, mental health and that's something I enjoy doing. It's like a, it's like a hobby. Uh, and like I said, I don't, I don't hate cricket. I just don't, I love playing cricket. I just don't really like watching cricket. I don't, I'm not a massive cricket watcher. Um, I'll always watch the highlights of England playing and I know what's going on, but <clears throat> I'm not one to sit there for five or six hours and just watch, watch cricket unless there's a really big occasion on or, <clears throat> you know, or if there's a really good 2020 game on, I'll watch that. But um, yeah, I just, I just prefer playing it to watching it. And I think, I think there's a lot of guys like that. It's, it's very different when you're playing it to, to when you're watching it. Yeah. Uh, just on, <laughs> more or less to wrap up, if we go back to your very first England game, you we're on a hat-trick ball, I think, to, to be the first England debutant to, to take a hat-trick. Can you talk us through what happened with the hat-trick ball? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, it was a freak, freak, freak incident. Um, yeah, I actually played, I think, the week before, two weeks before, I was playing for Hampshire and I got at Trent Bridge and I got a hat-trick um, in, in the championship. Um, so, yeah, I went, went, got, got picked for the, the one-day squad and got called up as like a replacement because I think Kabir Ali had a bit of a niggle or something. Um, so yeah, then our first game was at, at Trent Bridge against Bangladesh. We we batted first and got I think we got three fifty and I can't Paul Paul Colling we got some runs maybe or Strauss got some runs and then um, yeah um, <clears throat> my hat trick ball basically I, I ran into bowl and Mohamed Ashtafort at the time I think it was their, their best player he's yeah, he's gone to like play it down it's bounced bounced on the floor bounced up kind of over his head and it's boshed the stumps. <laughs> To like celebrate, oh, yeah, I've got a hat trick, and then look down and the, and the bales didn't move, and looked on the looked on the big screen and couldn't behave. <laughs> the ball basically landed flush on the bales, and they didn't come off. So, <laughs> so I didn't get a hat trick. I got I got I think I got four for in the game, but um, yeah, unfortunately didn't get an England hat trick because that would have been uh, quite a quite a nice thing to have under the belt, but uh, especially in your first game. But um, yeah, just well, again one of those things just. Wasn't to be. Never really, I've never really thought about it. When people show me that video or send it to me on Twitter or Instagram, it's quite funny to to watch it. And that that is pretty unlucky. It's probably one of those "what happened next" kind of moments. Isn't it? Uh, well, Chris, thank you ever so much for joining us on the show. You've been a fantastic guest. Thanks ever so much for sharing all you have. No problem. Cheers, Chris. Yeah, it's been good fun. Thanks for having me, guys. Very welcome. <laughs> I think it should never be permitted to happen again.
is very good.